Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. I'm glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, someone that worships here. On a regular basis, we ask that you would grab the pew pad at the end of the pew and complete the information therein. I have a few announcements to share with you uh, this morning. Um, I don't know if you've noticed in the bulletin, but uh, we, d- we do have a new... Uh, a person in the office, Christina Mays, and so she really likes to work ahead. So we're gonna we're gonna make a decision to, or we have made a decision. If you need something in the bulletin during the week, we need to cut that off by Tuesday, so that she has time to kind of order those things. So things are due Tuesday at noon for the following bulletin. So if you need something in the Easter bulletin, we need that in this coming Tuesday. To that end, uh, if you would like to purchase tulips for Easter, uh, those two are due by noon on Tuesday, and so we hope that you'll be able to get that in uh, so we can have time to print that and get those orders and the things to Stadler's. Um, Volunteers are still needed for April 23rd. That's the Saturday following Easter. Um, We have a bunch of things we need to get rid of for church, and we're also going to be shredding a bunch of important documents. Uh, So Nighthorst, is that right? Horse, Nighthorst is going to be here from noon until 4. So if you want to bring things to shred from your house, you can do that. Uh, If you have the ability to go up and down stairs during the day. We really need you to be here so that we can carry things uh, down to the shredder. Uh, But we really need um, people to help us out with that. Lunch is going to be provided, so if you can show up at the church at 10, that would be a huge help for us. This coming Wednesday is our final Wednesday night Bible study of the spring, so it'll be our last dinner and our last time together. We hope that you'll make an effort to join us. Also, please take note that on Good Friday, uh, the office is closed all day, as is the case on Easter Monday. This is a huge week for us, obviously, uh, the week that we celebrate Jesus' triumphant arrival in Jerusalem, but also his death and resurrection. To that end, we have a Monday Thursday worship this coming Thursday at 7 o'clock here at the church. We also have our community Good Friday worship that's going to be at First Pres Nitro. Uh, that's at 7 o'clock on Friday. And then regular worship next Sunday at 10 a.m. So we hope that you make plans to be with us for as many of those as you possibly can. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God. One more. What's that? Men of Mission, of course. I, why would I have forgotten you? Yes, come on up. <laughs> Stop me if I talk too long. You're gone. You're good. Go for it. Our yearning after God, our hope for a better way, creates infinite possibilities to touch the lives of the untouched, to reach the hearts of the unreached, to heal the wounds of the unhealed, to feed the bodies of the unfed, to accept the personhood of the unaccepted, to love the being of the unloved. Our gifts are gifts of hope. O God, touch, reach, heal, feed, accept, and love us that we might love one another. That's a poem by Ann Weems. And I thought it was appropriate to do this minute for mission for one great hour of sharing. It's been an offering for over, a hun- for over 70 years, which is older than me. It started after World War II 
on a radio program of one hour in which they tried to raise $1 million to help people in Europe who had suffered hunger and homelessness, homelessness after World War II. Over 75,000 churches participated in that first offering. Each year, this special offering provides enormous aid to people in need around the world. It's an ecumenical, that's a big word, it means a lot of denominations and churches get together. Um, and there are over nine denominations and, and Church World Service. And Church World Service has like 37 denominations, so that's a lot of stuff, churches. In the Presbyterian Church, we have three programs, Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, um, Presbyterian Hunger Program, and Self-Development of People that we distribute money that's raised through that. Um, we provide initial disaster response as well as community development to provide people around the world with safety, sustenance, and hope. There's a bunch of, if you go to the Presbyterian website, there's a bunch of statistics about um, what it's done. Um, and I'm not going to go into that, but there's a neat map there that kids would really like to see. And it's like, it's, it's not this map, but there is a map that has little dots on it for the three different programs. And if you click on one of those dots, it'll explain what that project, that particular project does. I found two that I'd like to just say a little bit. Um, there's one for our presbytery, West Virginia Presbytery, that they use to build bridges, um, which um, would provide um, people a way to get to their house after the floods. I, this was probably after the 2016 floods. And for this year, or for last year, they um, helped build, rebuild churches that were damaged from flooding in the winter. And there's also a link to um, the Ukraine effort, which it, if you click on one of those dots on the map, it actually shows where the place is on the map. And um, there's a dot there for the Ukraine effort. And the who of that is European partners, including but not limited to the Hungarian church aid friends at some place I never heard of, the International Orthodox Christian Charities, Hungarian Inner Church, and the, play, the where of that link shows Ukraine, Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Presbyterian Disaster Assistance is exploring, expanding the response with additional partners in other countries as the situation evolves. At this time, late March, we're in emergency re emergency response phase of our response. This means primarily supporting refugees in transit, internally displaced persons in Ukraine, in addition to refugees who have crossed borders with food, hygiene items, potable water, baby supplies, first aid, so -so psychosocial support, and more. Our partners on the ground 
have shared that they anticipate this crisis will require midterm and long-term response, so the needs will change over time. And the why of that particular dot is because we are called to welcome the stranger. That was more than a minute. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, the envelopes, there's envelopes in the pews, and you can do it online, or you can just, you know, and just mark it um, one great hour of sharing. Thank you. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 118, 1 through 4. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His, stead love, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Come, let us worship the triune God. Please join me in the opening hymn, number 197.
please join me in the passing of the peace. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Our call to confession comes from the second Helvetic Confession. We believe in God alone. We call upon God, and we do so through Christ. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and humankind. Christ Jesus, himself human. Please join me in the prayer of confession. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I have set your sins as far away as the east is from the west. Though your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming is that he has separated us from our sin, that our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. seated. Our Old Testament lesson comes from Isaiah 50, 4 through 9. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as though he are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me, who will declare me guilty. All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. The word of the Lord.
You may be seated, and at this time I invite the children to come forward for a children's sermon. Okay, so I have a question. How many of you all can guess what I'm doing after church today? I might drink coffee. That's a good call. Probably just watch the news or something, okay? Eat lunch. That's, a, that's okay. It's a good possibility. What do you think? Take a nap. I like the way that you think. That sounds more like a plan. Now, what if I were to tell you that I was going to go watch the Yankees play the Red Sox? Yeah. What are the Red Sox? The, the Red Sox never matter. The Yankees are the only thing that matters, okay? So right. if I am going to, if I'm going to, what, is there anything on me right now that would show that I'm a Yankees fan? No. Yes, you think? What do you think it is? The black and the purple and the red. Yes, the Lord has ordained that the Yankees are the best, and so you are correct. You are correct. No, no, no. So pay no attention to him. So most people, when they go to a baseball game, what do they what do they wear? They wear the team colors. Team colors. Blue, especially. Yes. Okay. And so maybe I would take like a baseball mitt with me. I would take money for like Cracker Jacks and some popcorn, maybe a hot dog. Exactly, right? But I don't have any of that on me right now. So there's no way for me to, for you to tell that I'm going to watch the Yankees and the Red Sox after church. There's no way for you to know that, right? Until I tell you that, okay? Now, let's pretend that I'm walking along and I'm waving a palm branch. Where do you think I'm headed? The game? You think I'm going to the game? Okay. Well, here, I'm going to give you all a palm branch and we can wave them together, okay? And then we'll try to figure out what we're doing. This is a palm branch. It's from a palm tree. Palm tree is like an oak tree, but it doesn't grow around here. That's a palm frond, I think is what these are called. This is a palm frond. This. This little branch, okay? Now, if we start walking around the church and waving our palm branches, do you think anybody will have a clue what we're doing? No. Why not? Because, um, They don't have a clue, right? And a waving a palm branch, I mean, have you all ever just picked up a stick and just started waving it around or anything like that? You have? Yeah. In the grass? Yeah, you have? Okay. Kind of, yeah. Okay. It does smell like grass, doesn't it? Yeah. So here's the crazy thing about this. People, I'm a fan of the New York Yankees, right? I'm a fan. And I'm a terrible fan because I couldn't find my Yankees hat to bring to church today. But that's a different story. I am also a fan of Jesus. Okay, are you a fan of Jesus? Yes. Yes? Okay. Um, yes. Um, well, um, um, as my 
Yes. You learned all that stuff? Awesome. That's a great lesson at kindergarten. Some of mine have holes too, Braxton, yeah. Caterpillars, yeah, they're probably caterpillars. Well, let's go back to the story. So if we were around when Jesus was alive and we were his fans, like I'm a fan of the Yankees, today is the day that we celebrate when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city in Israel, great question. And all of us, we'd be his fans and we would walk in ahead of him and we would wave this branch and we would say, Hosanna! Hosanna! Can you say that? Hosanna! Hosanna! All right. And that's how we would know that people would know that we are cheering for Jesus. Let's try that again. Hosanna! Come on, Braxton, give it your try, buddy. No, thanks. Okay. You're not as big a fan. That's okay. Your throat's dry. That's okay. All right. So here, do you want to be a fan? Yes. Okay. There you go. All right. Can you say Hosanna? Hosanna. That's right. Okay. So today when we leave church, what I want us all to try to remember to do is wave our branches and say, Hosanna! (laughs) And we're cheering for Jesus today, okay? That's the important lesson is today is a day for us to cheer for Jesus. God's son was sent to the earth to, to save us from our sins and we're welcoming him into our life and we're gonna scream Hosanna, okay? Why does it smell like pumpkin, buddy? I have no idea why it smells like pumpkin. But now I want pie. So thanks for that, Braxton. Okay, I think it's time for us to pray. Okay, so let's pray. Let's thank God for coming to earth and for giving us, for God giving us Hosanna. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, God, you rock, rock. and we love you. And And we're so glad glad. the Yankees are the best. best. And we're all so glad glad. you sent your son son to the earth to save us all. Please help us share his love with the world and help us be his fan and scream Hosanna! Amen. Okay, go sit down. Go Yankees. Going for the sweep today. Oh, it's Sense and Sensibility Day, so now you can walk through the church and scream Hosanna and try to get some money. Okay? You can keep it, baby. You can keep it. Do you boys want to help pick up change? No, this right here, buddy. Okay, go that way.
some way back there. Give it to God, okay. I love your makeup today. It's gorgeous. Our New Testament reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Hear God's holy word. And after he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he was told, as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples said, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had, been, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for your story. We thank you, Lord, for your triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We thank you, Lord, that for you this began the road of challenge. Lord, allow us to celebrate your majesty on this day, but prepare, prepare us also, Lord, to encounter you upon the cross later this week. We ask for your spirit's understanding in these challenging and difficult moments. We say all this in the name of your Son. Amen. So what's your favorite word of excitement? Just think about whatever that is, okay? Whatever it is, hallelujah, I don't know. Maybe some of your words can't be shared in church. I'm not sure. But for some of you, uh, it's, it's a time for us to exclaim something. Right now, when we make an exclamation, sometimes we're joyful about that, sometimes we're frustrated. 
But do you know the the etymology of your favorite word? Do you know how it how it got into our language? Chances are you probably don't, and that's okay. Many of us many of us don't. And English is one of those weird languages that has uh, it has input from several other world languages. So, for instance, I'm going to go through some words today, and we're going to try to guess maybe uh, which which of these. Uh, Words we know their their roots, okay? Uh, so beef, poultry, swine, and veal. Beef, poultry, swine, and veal. Do we know the origin of those words? Any guesses, Spanish teacher? Do you have any clue? No, probably not. It's okay. It's French. We get those words from Old French. The word sauna. Do you know what a sauna is, right? We all understand sauna. Do you know what language that comes to us from? It's Finnish. It's from Finland. Apricot, algebra, alcohol, adobe, assassin, caliber, cotton, hazard, jacket, orange, safari, sofa, zero. Mosque, all of those are from the Arabic. Cowtail, typhoon, and ketchup are Cantonese words. Alligator, Buckaroo, Savvy, Florida and Colorado, Spanish, okay. Behemoth, Jubilee, Satan, Rabbi, Hallelujah. Hebrew, okay. So our language is just really this huge amalgam of many other world languages. And it's, that's cool. I think it's really neat that we have words like these that we use every day. But we really don't know, you know, their root, their root uh, language. And so when I when I think about some of the words that I say, uh, and some of the words that I say I can't say in church, right? We, we all, when we stub our toes, we don't always scream hallelujah. That's that's okay to admit that. Um, but sometimes we have these words that we just don't, we can't grasp the meaning of it. But when I go to my, when I go watch a sports team play, uh, it's not often that I like to scream boo unless, you know, it's against a team that I'm not really a fan of. I don't like to boo my favorite teams, but sometimes I do like to celebrate when my favorite teams do really, really well. And so I would venture a guess and say that that's a form of praise, right? So when I cheer for my team, in many ways, I am praising them. And so what word can you possibly come up with to celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Um, honestly, Luke doesn't come up with one, does he? It's the only gospel where we don't actually see the word Hosanna listed. Now, it's a popular phrase on, on Palm Sunday. We're going to sing that word again in our final hymn. But it's not something that comes from our biblical text. For Luke, it wasn't as much about praising God with a specific saying as much as it was preparing the readers of Luke's gospel uh, for what was about to come. Generally speaking, Luke follows Mark really, really carefully. We're pretty sure Mark's gospel was the first one written. We think that Matthew and Luke each had a copy of Mark's gospel. At least they'd heard it, maybe even had a copy with them when they wrote their gospel uh, so for most part, for the most part, 
We call those three books the synoptic gospels because they pretty much follow the same storyline. John is a a different Ballywick altogether. We don't even know what all he was doing, but he has some very unique stories in his gospel as well. What Luke does differently, I think, and what is really a gift to, to us is to recognize that for Luke's readers and for the way that he writes his gospel, since chapter 9, we've been on a journey. We've been on a journey out of Galilee, away from Nazareth, away from uh, the Sea of Galilee, and toward Jerusalem. So to this point, we've had about 10, 11 chapters where Luke is journeying to a place. And along that journey, he's gathered more and more followers. Out of the 150 or so times that Jerusalem is mentioned in the New Testament, I've talked about this before, but Luke, Acts, the book Luke and Acts are written to be together, they have 90 mentions of a journey to Jerusalem uh, out of that 150. So the majority of this journey towards Jerusalem comes from Luke's idea. And for Luke, it's really like a, a specific focus Luke is going to tell us in the book of Acts that once people in Jerusalem understand the importance of Jesus as Messiah, that the ministry then really can begin. Because what his message to um, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem is, "Don't, don't go worry about other places yet. Stay first in Jerusalem, then we can go to Judea and Samaria, and then we can worry about the ends of the earth. I think it's actually a great mission plan. Uh, It's the way that we hope to do missions here is to start locally, to really focus on what's around us, uh, and then focus on a little bit broader setting, and then worry about the rest of the world. And so for Luke, Jerusalem, this, this, this coming into Jerusalem for Jesus is just almost a majestical experience. And so he mentions that Jesus is on this journey, he goes and he, he, he ventures really close. He goes to Bethphage and he goes to Bethany. And then there's this idea of him bursting forth into the first gates of Jerusalem. Now the Mount of Olives, they carried a really special idea, especially for a first century Jew. In Zechariah chapter 14, when the, the day that the Lord arrives, on that day his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. So it's really important for Luke to make certain in this mentioning of the journey that Jesus has actually come and stands at the Mount of Olives. It's important for the fulfillment of prophecy of the Jewish text, but it's also important to establish that Jesus is very much a Jewish man. This is not something he's... He's not coming in trying to change or alter Judaism. He is part of of Judaism. And before he actually enters the city, Jesus sends two disciples and they have him get a colt. And I love how this kind of password protected thing takes place, right? And that's, we can pretty much see it in each gospel. If somebody asks you why you're stealing their horse, just say the Lord needs it and everything will be fine, right? I mean, Go ahead and try that today. Go borrow your neighbor's car and say, I'm sorry, the Lord needs it. And they're just going to wave you on, throw you the keys. Here, get some gas money, right? But that's kind of an Obi-Wan Kenobi moment for, for Jesus. It's, you know, he kind of says, these are not the droids you're looking for. That's that kind of a moment. The Lord needs a horse. And so they get the horse. Again, from Zechariah, lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Now, Luke does not actually include this verse, but Matthew does. Uh, Luke appears to be working more from a, a Greek transcript of the Old Testament here, and so he translates this word not as donkey, but as colt. And so the two disciples bring the colt to Jesus, and the very first thing that they do is they cast their cloaks upon it. And then they sit Jesus, it's kind of like they pick Jesus up and put him on there. It's kind of a weird construction of words. And the disciples have followed Jesus' instructions on how to get this colt. They bring the colt to Jesus, and now they kind of hurriedly say, okay, what's, what's going to happen next? The disciples follow Jesus' instructions, and then they say they start spreading their cloaks on the way. And this is a sign of royal acclamation. So if you were to go look at 2 Kings uh, chapter 9, you're going to see that spreading the cloaks was a sign of greeting for the king. In that book it says, Hurriedly all of the people gathered all of their cloaks and spread them for him, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Now similar to the old movies when men would take off their outer garment and cast it over a mud puddle so that a a woman in distress wouldn't have to get her feet muddy in the mud puddle. That's similar to what's happening here. The, the king is, is recognized as so important that the horse even shouldn't touch the ground. They should walk upon these cloaks of the people. And so who is better than to say Jesus is king than the people who are welcoming him to the city? Now, did you see the word king there? You didn't see the word Hosanna. Do you see the word king? It's not there. But the people are recognizing that Jesus is the king by the actions that they are taking. And so Luke is kind of saying this, this weird, loud voice that, that also is a whisper, Jesus is the king who's entering into a city. Luke doesn't have the collective voices from Jerusalem welcoming Jesus. Instead, Luke has all of the people who have been on Jesus' journey ushering Jesus into Jerusalem. Now we're watching things unfold in Ukraine right now as the Russians are marching into a country. And we're kind of upset about that, right? Generally speaking, the world is not happy at the way a, a person or people representing a person enter into a country. So imagine if you will, if you can, what it's like for a bunch of people that don't live in the city who are similar in nature to the people that do live in the city in that they share at least a religion, a faith basis, but really two different worlds apart. Kind of like when Country Bumpkin Mark goes to New York City to watch the Yankees, right? There's a, there's a redneck in town, right? There's a, they can tell the difference, right? So when you have a group of people who are coming from uh, a, a city way outside the, the scope of what Jerusalem is used to, and they start taking off their outer garments and throwing them on the ground in an effort for Jesus to be able to walk on these garments and approach the city, how do you think people might feel about that? Do you think there might be a hint, a tinge of frustration in welcoming somebody, a country preacher, into the city? They're not saying Hosanna in Luke's gospel, 
but they're literally treating this man as if he is a king. They're fulfilling a scripture. They're taking their cloaks off. They're welcoming in. And this is huge. This is absolutely huge. This is blasphemous both to Rome, who is the occupier, but it's also blasphemous for the people of Jerusalem, of the temple, in recognizing Jesus as king. Herod was supposed to be the king. He was tetrarch of the area. And so for Jesus to be welcomed in this way, it would be, it would be almost... Well, it would be criminal. For Rome, this is the same of saying Jesus is the new Caesar. The Caesars, as they lived, weren't necessarily a god, but upon their death they would be worshipped as such. At least we know that from Augustus. When he died at his burial, he was declared to be a god. And Tiberius uh, wasn't necessarily declared a god, but they built a temple to Tiberius upon his death, and they worshipped him there. So that's kind of the norm, right? Making people that walk on earth, making them gods to be worshipped. So that's not uncommon. It may sound weird for us to say that Jesus is fully human, fully God. We have to remember the context of the day when Caesars were alive. Upon their death, they became gods as well. So, so put that kind of a construct into your mind. So while Jesus is still living, they're worshipping him in such a way that's very similar to the way a Caesar would be worshipped. But something else was happening. The Pharisees got scared. Now the Pharisees in Luke's Gospel, if we recall, have a lot of similarity with Jesus. They're not necessarily enemies as if they are in other Gospel books. This is the last time we'll hear anything from the Pharisees in Luke's Gospel. And they whisper to Jesus, have your disciples stop doing what they're doing. Now this is to be taken one of two different ways. They're either rebuking him like, hey, teacher, calm your kids down. Or, hey, teacher, hey, rabbi, they're going to roll you. You need to have them stop. And Jesus responds in such a unique way. I say to you, if they hold their peace, even the stones would cry out. Now, that's not Jesus saying, I'm king. But it's pretty daggone close to Jesus saying, the earth knows that I am the creator. Jesus is saying that if his disciples would not speak joyfully, the peace that they found in him would still be able to be kind of rupturing forth from the earth. The peace is such that the soil, which has for so long only known war, ravaging, plundering, disagreement, self-centeredness, and woeful oppression would cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of peace. All of creation is redeemed in the coming of the king. You can't stop it from being true. Now, our Old Testament text this morning from Isaiah is a prophecy, and unfortunately, it's a prophecy that illustrates that one cannot prevent Jesus' kingship from being true. Even though the powers try to do that, this is yet another fulfillment of prophecy. Hear these words again that Jamie read this morning. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me 
and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who are my adversaries? Let me confront them. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Now, if that is the mindset that Jesus has triumphantly walking into Jerusalem, that's a man, I think, who's ready to die for a cause. If nothing else, let's pretend for a moment for this brief little second that Jesus is not God, but Jesus is an astute rabbi who knows the Old Testament text extraordinarily well. He knows that he has these healing powers, he's done these miraculous things, and now suddenly it comes to pass that he's going to enter Jerusalem. If this text is on his heart, then he knows they're going to pull the hairs of his beard, they're going to strike him on the face, they're going to spit on him, he's going to be disgraced because what he's proclaiming, the peace of God, forgiveness, Grace and love is not the order of the day. That's not what the world often wants. We say it is. But as soon as it steps upon our toes, we get a little frustrated. So Jesus is simply telling the truth. I am who I am. And what is the penalty for telling the truth? Mockery, lashes, violence, and death. The great irony is that the Messiah, the long-awaited promised one, the once and future king, welcomed on one Sunday, he shows up, they want a king, but what they get is a passionate pacifist. He came illustrating and promising peace. He increased joy for the masses. He won the hearts of many, yet would appear that it was a short-lived victory. The very next sentence in Luke's Gospel, following our reading today, is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because He knows there will be no change. There will be no acceptance, and there will be no peace. His detractors might say something to the effect of, pride cometh before a fall. They would say his pride led him to his demise, and the coming together of two opposing forces denigrated his final mission. And I think they were correct. But the source of the pride was not with Jesus. Rather, the source of the pride is from humanity. One of my favorite authors of all time, hands down, bar none, C.S. Lewis. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he talks a great deal about the pride of humanity. I just want to read a small portion of this book to you now. Just a really few short sentences. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, 
that he will be what most people call humble these days. He will not be a greasy, smarmy person who is, of course, always telling you that he is a nobody. Probably all you will think of him is that he is a sort of cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking of humility. He will not be thinking of himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step in acquiring humility is to realize that one is proud. And this is a big step. Nothing can be done before the realization of stating that you are proud. And if you think for a moment that you are not conceited, you are very conceited indeed. The idea that for Jesus, life was joyous. Life was filled with grace and love that he literally looked through eyes that no other human can look through because they were only the eyes of God to recognize that none of us grasp the concept of what God wants for us in our lives. The pride of humanity has always prevented the appropriate praise of God. Perhaps that's why we don't find our word Hosanna in Luke's gospel. The etymology of the word leads us to think about salvation. Although that is what your Bible study says, that's not actually true at all. Maybe just for a moment, humanity doesn't need to be concerned with themselves and being saved. Maybe what humanity needs to do is focus a bit on the saver. Let's approach the worst week of our faith's existence. The worst week of Christ's life that we celebrate this week, let's not focus on what it means for us. That's too easy. It's easy for us to say, because of what Jesus did this week, I am saved. Do you see how conceited that sounds? Let's focus instead on worshiping the Creator. The worst week of Jesus' life. Let's focus on what this week teaches us about God. And let us think this through and fail to understand how much God truly loves us. And let's do this only with the help of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, 
On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, we'll continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the many gifts and blessings that you have bestowed upon us in this life. Lord, as we humbly return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and for your courage to use these gifts in a manner which you see fitting. All this we say in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have a few things to uh, share with you this morning, a few requests. Uh, first, from Betty King. Uh, Julie Hepler has uh, just recently found out she has cancer in a different part of her body, and so she's going to be uh, going through treatment for that, so Betty requests uh, prayer for her. And then uh, Kim and uh, Keith have requested a few uh, things for us. First, their, their first request for prayer is that Isabella and Wayne and Selena can come home soon. You know, they've been separated from their mother and father for a while. And also, Kim's friend Kristen uh, had surgery upon her foot, and so we're praying for her as well. I'm certain that there are other requests that rest with you, uh, so let's lift all of our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we are forever amazed by your love for us. 
We thank you so much, God, for coming to earth and becoming one of us. Exposed to our lives in the same way that that we live our lives each day, yet without sin. But with hope and with love and grace and peace. We thank you, Lord, for the teachings that you have given us that give us courage, Lord, to embrace each day with that hope, with a sense of your love and a sense of your grace. We thank you, God, that we live in a country where we can gather peacefully and freely to worship your dear name. We know that we have sisters and brothers who gather to worship this day out of fear of persecution or suffering, imprisonment, or possibly even threat of death. We pray for men and women in the Christian faith who gather in the Horn of Africa, places like Sri Lanka and Vietnam and China. We pray, Lord, for any person of faith who is prevented from worshiping freely. We ask, God, that you continue to guide them and give them peace. We're thankful, Lord, that we have historically had men and women who have fought to keep our country free, to give us these freedoms that we possess and and take for granted sometimes. We thank you, Lord, for their yes to serving in our military abroad. And we ask, God, that there be a day where we no longer need a military. We pray, God, for warring nations, for their leaders to seek peaceful solutions. We pray, Lord, for the millions of refugees leaving Ukraine. We pray, God, for the war. We pray for it to end, God. We pray for your mercy to rain justice down and to bring about peace. We know, Lord, that even when that war ends, there will be time where we need to continue assisting the refugees for the rebuilding of that community in Ukraine. We pray, God, wherever wars take place on this globe that aren't as reported as this war is, we pray for people who live in fear each day. We pray, Lord, for those who live in fear of the war of addiction, of oppression, of slavery. We pray for our president and the leaders of our nation that they will seek your still small voice. We pray, God, for our state and local leaders as well. We thank you, God, for the people who are helpers in this world, who have answered your call to the ministry of helping and healing. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for our families. We pray for grace and peace to live within our families. We pray, Lord, for there to be forgiveness and hope. We pray, God, for our neighbors, for our community of St. Albans. We pray for the ministry of our church. We're thankful, Lord, that on this day our session meets to decide how we will serve in your dear name this community that we all love. And because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. And in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. 
We thank you so much for sending your son to earth, for the way that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn today, hymn number 196, All Glory, Laud, and Honor.
you may have heard I'm a Yankees fan. Um, and so far as the season began on Friday, we start off uh, this year playing our foes, the Red Sox. And so far we've beaten them twice, right? So today we go for the, the sweep. And so as I am, where did my palm branch go, right? So I want to sweep the Red Sox today, right? And uh, be first place in the AL East. That's what my hope is, right? Many people had hope in Jesus that they were going to be able to witness the king of the earth come in and overthrow the evil that was in the world. And so they waved their banners and they sang Hosanna and they cheered for Jesus. And four days later, they screamed crucify him because all of their expectations were defeated when Jesus chose not to be a person of battle, but to be a man of peace. I don't often boo my Yankees, but I do get upset when they lose. And that's because of my own pride. Because in my mind, I'm playing second base for the Yankees. And if they would just ask me to help, I could fix it all, right? If Jesus would just ask my opinion on so many things, the world would be so much better for me. My hope for all of us this week is that as we celebrate Jesus this day, as we are his fans, and we celebrate the notion that he came to earth specifically to die for our salvation, that we notice just for a moment the need to praise his holy name for the greatness and choosing not to defeat evil on that day with power, but to defeat evil with grace and hope and love. Let that be our attitude as we leave this place this day, screaming, Hosanna, loud, Hosanna. Now I receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday. Go Yankees. Mm-hmm.